let me um, open prayer first to God, and then together, church, we can read um, chapter 3, verse 11 through 13, and then chapter 4, verse 1 through 12 in First Thessalonians. So just join me in prayer, please. Uh, Lord, I pray that as I read your word, that your Holy Spirit, the living water, will be present and felt among your people here at Grace Community Church. May our ears be open to hear and receive your word. May your word sound forth. May your Holy Spirit use your word to change our hearts with your truth. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the fourth week of a sermon series titled Encouraging One Another in Faith, Love, and Hope. And so I'm going to read the text first and then summarize chapters 1, 2, and 3. So join me and open to 1 Thessalonians 3. We'll start the paragraph before chapter 4. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us from purity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So let me recap chapter 1, 2, and 3 so that you can sort of see the arc of the letter. In chapter 1, Paul uh, was encouraging the Thessalonians to know in their hearts that God has chosen them and loves them. God calls believers his beloved. God has always loved you, church. And so as we move to chapter 2, God is mirroring the imagery 
God himself used, the one of a nursing mother when speaking to the Israelites when they were in exile in Babylon. God and Paul's tender love and compassion are in full display here in this letter. And so in last week's sermon, we learned that we are destined to face trials and afflictions just as our Lord Jesus did. And we spoke of the need for us, church, to abide in our Lord Jesus daily. And so I want to carry that picture, an image, from last week's sermon from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. So recall that that was an image of a garden, and each person in that garden had actually a specific role. God the Father was the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, and every believer sitting here today is a branch. So let me read from John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I challenge you, church, to really have that image of you being the branch, Jesus the vine, and God the Father, the vine dresser, in your head as I read the scriptures. So I'm going to go back and reread the first paragraph of chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so I want to ground us in the text. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are writing to the church. So they're collectively writing. They're trying to teach their church, provide instruction and encouragement. They are referencing some instructions they left with them. And do we know what instruction that was, brothers and sisters? What was that instruction, that goal they had in mind? It says here, in verse 1. The church's body's goal, our collective goal, brothers and sisters, is to please God. As we look towards pleasing God, we can then try to understand what is it that God's will is for us. So We are looking to God, and we're trying to understand what God's will is for us. And in verse 3, it says that God's will is, for his church is to see the sanctification, the sanctification of his church. And so what is sanctification, you may ask? Sanctification means to make holy. And oftentimes right now, as you think about that word holy, holiness, you think about it in terms of moral or ethical purity. 
which is a very natural association for all of us to land. But I would say that holiness is not mainly about moral purity. It's mainly, it's mainly about being set apart. It's not about doing the right things all the time. Holy means to be set apart. To be sanctified means we are set apart from those who do not know God. We are different or unique in comparison to the world. And we are holy when we are in Christ. So remember that picture I said. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches connected to him. And as we abide in Christ, we reflect Christ in the fruit we bear. Let those in the world, the outsiders, observe our walk with Christ. And the fruit that they should taste should be holy, set apart, different, unique. And most importantly, it should reflect Christ, pointing the world, those outsiders, to him. Now, there is a specific issue in chapter 4 that we will jump into, and I am aware that there are children in our church service, and so there's a unique partnership between the church and the parents. So, this is for the children. If there are things that are said here, it may become more clear at home. So, ask your parents about things that you don't understand and have that conversation. So let's go back to the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians to un uncover what is both encouragement and a warning. So Paul is actually warning the Thessalonians, abstain from sexual immorality. As the seventh commandment in Exodus 20, verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. Throughout this chapter, there are a number of compare and contrast statements. And remember that to be sanctified means that we are set apart from the world, from those who don't know God. We are different and unique. And so that compare and contrast is helpful. So Paul is trying to highlight that in this paragraph. And I'd say there are two comparisons. The first comparison is he's saying control your body in holiness and honor versus the passion of lust like those who do not know God. So that's the first set. And the second set that's in here is that God called us to be sexually pure. That's on one hand, versus being an adulteress. And so that compare and contrast helps provide clarity to us on how we should walk. But I think as we look at that compare and contrast, let us ground ourselves and how the Old Testament, how God designed us and created this world to actually be before sin entered. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go through verse 18 through 24. You guys probably got there faster than I did. 
So again, we're reading the Old Testament, and it's a testament about God. And it's about God and his design for the world. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 24. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is how God intended for man and woman to exist. That a husband should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Sex between a man and a woman is a good thing. God designed it to be within a marriage, which is a covenant relationship. Now, the world promotes lust to attract attention, to an advertisement for a product, to promote a sports team, or tell us a lie where beauty and how you look determines your self-worth. Society tells us that our worth is either in our experiences, in the wealth that we're given, or health. Experiences, wealth, or health. And within health, it's usually our longevity, how old we will be when we grow older and older, or in the times of our youth, how sexually attractive we are. Paul tells us that our goal should be to please God. And so as you contrast the goals of God versus the goals of society, it really paints a picture of where do believers stand. And so Jesus actually spoke uh, about this, about the why. Why is it that the seventh commandment and other commandments exist? Why is it uh, that God is calling us to be holy. So, turn with me to Matthew verse 15, or chapter 15, and I'll read verse 1 through 2 and then 10 through 20. So this is our Lord Jesus talking to us. So, Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 through 2, and then 10 through 20. 
Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wish, they do not wash their hands when they eat. And then verse 10 through 20. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so when we were saved, that actually marked a new life that we have. Recall that I had said, you know, we always told we live one life, and that's the one life we should live. Well, as believers, we have an old life, and we have a new life. And so that mark of a new life is a mark when our heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. When these things of old, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, they should be arrested. It should stop. Jesus bore our sins, our, our past sins and our future sins when he died on the cross. Jesus was blameless. He was holy. And yet he took the punishment meant for our sins to defeat sin. Jesus rose and was resurrected on the third day. This demonstrated his power over Satan and sin. And as he conquered death, believers, and as we follow Jesus, just recall this truth, the truth that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And yet we still, in this world, live under Satan's realm and power. And when we do sin, we tend to feel guilty, which can cast doubt on our salvation. This is Satan's lie and deception to us, that doubt that we are not saved, that our sin is greater than, greater than God. But when we do sin, church, we do grieve the Holy Spirit. 
But that's different from letting your sin cast doubt on your salvation. That's different. You are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In Ephesians 4, verse 29 through 30, you don't have to turn there. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as, it, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We belong to God, church. Nothing can separate us from God once he has chosen you. And he has chosen you, believer, at the foundation before everything was created. He had chosen you. You cannot separate yourself from God. Sin cannot separate you from God. And so that's the truth that was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 12. In the second half, it said, God calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And if God is all-powerful and he calls you, then Satan, he can try to deceive, he can create doubt, but this is where we can be fed on God's word and really know the truth. And I'm going to read uh, the last part, the second paragraph in chapter 4. For First Thessalonians, and then I'll conclude with uh, with another passage. So read with me, First Thessalonians chapter four. Verse seven through twelve. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. God gives us his Holy Spirit. And there's that theme, right? There's that theme throughout that we are connected to Christ. And as we wash ourselves with the living word, with the Holy Spirit, it changes us to reflect Christ. And so that connectedness, church, to Christ, that is vital and gives us life. And so there's another picture about this planting, this water, that Paul wrote in First in First Corinthians. Sorry, and this is about Apollos and Paul, and you know there are different teachers out there, and are you going to follow which which disciple? And at the end of the day. Both Paul and Apollos point the church to who? To Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'll read the first verse and then skip to verse 5 through 9. 
But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And then, and then verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so as we wrap up and conclude, God tells us we are to work. So whether we are Paul, whether we are Apollos, Paul. Paul was the one who planted, and Apollos the one who watered. But the main point of this passage was that God was the one who gave the growth. And so this picture of planting, this picture of watering, that's work we are to do while we're here. And as we recall this picture of the vine and the branches and abiding in Christ, how is it that we are supposed to grow that fruit that we are supposed to bear? God. God is the one who's going to give us life through Christ. That's going to give us the flowers that come out, the fruit that follows, and the leaves. All that is by God's design and will. And so it is not our effort alone that we can please God. But God is just pleased when we dwell with him. That our desire is to be with him. That when we look forward to eternal life in heaven, that it's not heaven we want, but God that we want to dwell with. And so as we desire to be with God, that desire to be with Jesus, that position, if I can challenge you, that position affects our actions at home, affects our actions at work, how we parent our children, how we love our husband, how we love our wives, and is reflected to our coworkers, those in our neighbors, and those that just see us day to day at work. And what the world will see is not a reflection of how holy I am, but I hope and pray that it will be a reflection of Christ and his holiness. And so this sums it up really well in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That's a question that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And as we see this Old Testament, New Testament theme play out, God desires to dwell with his people. He desired to dwell with his people when he created the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He desires to be with them when he was with them as a cloud, taking them out of Egypt. He desires to be with us because he gave us Jesus. 
he loves us, that he gave his son for us. And so, for those who believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, God the Father, that they're three in one, the Holy Spirit of God, believer, will dwell in you. And so we are challenged. We are charged to walk in a manner worthy of God. We are his workers. And we are his beloved. And so as we work, wherever God places us, in the home, at a manufacturing site, in an office, with our hands, wherever God has placed you in society, we are called to be set apart. And so let those in the world, those outsiders, observe your walk, our walk, church, in Christ, so that the fruit that they taste should be holy, set apart, unique, and most importantly, reflect Christ, pointing the world to him, our Savior. Let us pray together. Father, we come to you in prayer. We ask that uh, your word may be a word that reflects your voice to us. May your Holy Spirit just be able to give the truth to each one of us. May our faith be encouraged by you providing the growth and not our own efforts. May we be able to labor and love with the work that you've given us, that we can be your servants, your workers, May our hope be in Christ. And I just pray that um, as we transition uh, into being able to speak as a family today, that as we do that, we can hear the Holy Spirit through each one of us as we have those conversations. And may our aim in our life be to please you and may we be able to stand on the foundation that you've given us and that nothing, nothing can keep us from you, God. May we just know your love and compassion for us as we face trials. And may we just be able to be strengthened and encouraged by the brothers and sisters here today. I pray this in Jesus' name.